God is so good. And today we celebrate what goodness and God's greatness are and how God lifts us up by showing us what it means to truly be great by God's standards. And we're called into worship with words that, that remind us of that. John tells us of Jesus, he was in the world. And the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. May we celebrate that we are born of God through Jesus Christ and that great sacrifice as we give God our praise today. Let those who are able stand, but come now together, let us worship the living God. My friends, the good news of the gospel comes and finds us. We don't find it before it finds us. And I was reminded by my mentor, Chuck Swindoll, in a devotional I read in the last day or so, that Jesus tells us who he is in a way that is not the world's standards, but is what the standard we need. He says this about himself. Come to me, come to me, all of you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. There it is. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What greater invitation could there possibly be for any of us than that, that the God of the universe who came in person to give himself up for us says, come to me, learn from me, I am gentle and humble in spirit, and I will give you rest. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we have rest, because in him, we are made whole through his forgiveness. Amen. One of the problems with preaching straight through a book of the Bible, if you're really honest as a pastor, is you don't get to skip the parts you aren't any good at. Okay, and that's today. And, and I, I look at John chapter 3, verses 25 to 36, and I, as I pour it over this, I go, I'm not good at this, Lord. And, and so God gave me a great resource. He says, go back and, and watch that end of your favorite movie. The greatest story ever told, the Ten Commandments. No, Field of Dreams. And it's not just about baseball, but if you know the story, the main character has been building a baseball field and chasing a legend and trying to get this whole baseball thing to come together, and he thinks there's somehow going to be something that he will be deeply satisfied by for taking this great risk because he's, he's bet the farm. And in the end, it turns out that the guy that he's chased down is the one who's going to get the blessing and get to go out into the cornfield and be united with the great legends. And he, he says, finally, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I built this field. I risked the farm. 
He didn't do anything. I went and got him. I brought him here. And, and the, the person who is the, the ghost, if you will, the Holy Spirit, says, what, what are you saying? What's in it for me? And he goes, no, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, what's in it for me? <laughs> he says, remember, if you build it, he will come. Ease his pain. It was nothing about you getting to go out and meet the legends. It was about something bigger than that. And then he turns. And if you know the story, he sees his father, from whom he's been estranged. His father who died with great animosity between the two of them. And he says, oh, it's my dad. It's my dad. And it's it's a scene that no American male can watch without tearing up as the two of them are reconciled, playing catch. And that's where this brings us today. As we look at what does it mean to decrease in order to know what it means to truly be united with our Father. So listen as... John leads us in this by telling about John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. John chapter 3. I'm going to read back up to verse 22. He's just had this encounter with Nicodemus talking about what does it mean to be born again. And this flows right out of it. To be born again is to experience what John is now describing. Listen to God's word. After this, after Jesus has had this encounter with Nicodemus in which he talks about being born again, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and Jesus spent some time there with them and baptized. John also, John the Baptist, also was baptizing at Anion near Salim because water was abundant there and people kept coming and were being baptized. John, of course, had not yet been thrown into prison. We'll talk about that in days to come. Now, a discussion about purification, about what the purpose and the point of baptism was, arose between John's disciples and a Jew or a number of Jews. They came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you testified Here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. All of John's disciples are going, hey, they're they're all going to Jesus and his disciples. John answered to them, no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. We just sang about that. The one who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted his testimony has certified or sealed this 
that God is true. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure, the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son and has placed all things in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take the reading of his word and bless it, bring it to our hearts that we might live in response to it. Let's pray. Father, let your good news come now and find us, not only in word, but in spirit, in power and in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray, Lord Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. Someone once said, you may have heard it, you may even know who it's been attributed to, but someone once said, it is amazing what can happen when no one is concerned about who gets the credit for what's been accomplished. It's amazing what can happen when no one is concerned about who gets the credit for what gets accomplished. See, it doesn't matter who said that. It matters who lived it. Jesus' cousin, John, whom we call John the Baptist, lived this understanding of not being worried about who gets credit for what happens, but rather that the outcome be what needs to take place. You and I are called to live this. The church is called to live this. The church everywhere in the world, in all time and space. But, but more and more, this message, this way of life is getting marginalized just as the church is getting marginalized because this message, this mission, this way of life calls for a form of humility that is costly, very costly. It is costly because it calls for disappearing, disappearing to the point of social, emotional, political, yes, and even physical death. And and John knew this. God is calling us to do his mission to the point where we disappear. Jesus knew this even more. But both John and Jesus knew that the mission was not first and foremost about them getting credit or being glorified. In fact, Jesus says, and we'll see this later on in the gospel, he says, when I am lifted up on a cross will draw all people to myself. It's when we die to our own way of of thinking of greatness that true greatness happens. What was going on in this exchange that we saw and in the life of Jesus and in the life of John and the life that God calls for in his church is about ushering people not into comfort but into eternal life. John was the usher. Jesus is eternal life. John was the usher. Jesus is the gift. 
Now, when John's disciples saw that people were going to Jesus and going to Jesus' disciples to receive baptism, the baptism of belonging to God, they got jealous, or they got at least envious, because for a while, guess what? John and his disciples had been the big deal. There's a problem with being the big deal. It's just not that permanent. We're in that, that sacred season we call the baseball playoffs now. And uh, you'll notice very seldom is the same team a World Series champion two years in a row. It just isn't very permanent. Like youth, it doesn't last. Like power, it goes away. Or thinking that we are in control. Anyone ever have that fleeting, naive assumption that they were in control? Uh, it is fleeting, and, and when, being, when being the big deal, or in control, or comfortable, is our hope, even when we don't think that that's what we're doing, we are going to be disappointed. Because we have set our sights on that which is bound to be less than enough. It just won't be what we need. Now, John knew something humanity has had a horrible time learning, and it continues to cripple and even kill us. He said to his disciples when they said, hey, wait a minute, we're not getting our, our deal anymore. We're not the big shots any longer. He said, you know, guys, that's in the original Greek, you know, guys, no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You know the paraphrase to that? You're not a big deal unless God makes you a big deal. So if you're not a big deal, get over it. He says, you yourselves are witness. He says, I told you, I'm not the big deal. I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. See, anything we have, we need to realize this. It's good news. Anything we have, any role we are ever in, is one God has given us. It's a gift. All of life is a gift. John knew this. And he knew that our role is to develop what we have been given so that we become a big deal, right? No. We've been given these gifts so that people will see God. So that people will see what the power of this life really is, and that is to die in order to live to the life that God alone can give in Jesus Christ. You see, the clearer we are, the clearer we are about who we are and who we are not by God's design, the more focused we can be on living the life we were made to live to be who we were created to be for God's glory. That's where hope comes from. That's where our power is. That's what real greatness is about. This is where our peace comes from. Nowhere else. John knew this. And he knew who he was and what he was here for. He lived so well into that particular role because he knew that true greatness comes from pointing to the one who lifts us up out of our darkness out of our unknowing, out of, of our insecurity, and into his light. John knew 
that to be great was to grow down. John knew that to be great was to grow smaller and smaller. Now again, I, I go back to one of the great legendary films. This one's not so well known, but I remember it from my very early years. It's one of those great Saturday afternoon black and white science fiction movies, The Incredible Shrinking Man. And, and, and this was true of all those science fiction movies. They all had to do with radioactivity. Some form of massive radioactivity had caused something to happen. The Incredible Shrinking Man was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And his wife had to make smaller clothes and get smaller chairs. And finally, she gets dollhouse furniture for him because that's all he can fit in. And he's disappearing, and it, it, it seems so horrible until he realizes that he can't ever really disappear. He's always going to be aware of being. That's where John was. He was the incredible shrinking man. And yes, he'd been exposed to radioactivity, the greatest radioactivity there is, the presence of the living God who came to overshadow him and cause him to get smaller and smaller and smaller. This seemed like a disaster, but the reality is it's as we get smaller that we start to really understand our significance because we're nothing compared to the one who has made us to shrink into him. And John knew this, and he knew the role of Jesus. Jesus is the upper story, and he has come to be the redeemer, the one who makes us who we really need to be. He's the groom. He's going to carry his bride over the threshold. I don't know if guys still do that. They should. But the reality is that Jesus picks up the bride, who is the church, and carries her into that place that only he can take her. The church. Now John, guess what role he is? He's the best man. And he's come to tell the lower story, and to tell of the Messiah who will pick us up and lift us out of our disaster. And that will be Jesus, the one, the Messiah, who has come down to bring us up. John knew the only way to grow up is to grow down. John knew it. He says, guys, the only way we're going to be great is if we go down. But our world doesn't get this. Have you noticed that? You notice how our world doesn't get humility, doesn't get being small? I'll tell you why. There's an epidemic, and there's no real human inoculation for it. It's called sin. Sin has infected us with narcissistic meism. That's my diagnosis. Narcissistic meism. And it has led us away from the truth. And being led away from the truth is poisoning us. And the infection is so great that since we all have it, we start to think, oh, we're supposed to be like this. We're supposed to try and get one up on one another and get ahead of everybody else. But that's not how it's supposed to be. And that's the epidemic. It has us thinking that we're going in the right direction when we're, in fact, going in the wrong direction. Karen Kipler reminded me this week of an A.W. Tozer quote on what we need to understand about our true identity in Christ and what it means to be blessed and on the right track. Tozer writes this, a real Christian 
is an odd number anyway. Any of you go, yep, that's me. I'm an odd number, all right. Well, I know I am, but I don't know that I brag about it. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so that he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels worse, he lives, he dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that peace which passes knowledge. That's a Christian. That's a follower of Jesus Christ. Growing down is this. But growing down is not what our old nature wants. There's where the infection of sin comes in. Oh, I, I can't do that. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be, fill in the blank. We want to grow up. We want to be big. We want to be seen. I mean, think about it. From our earliest days, we'd every day, we'd want to go to the wall and say, Mom, check my growth, see where I am. Put the mark on the wall. Remember, you all had marks on the wall? I want to see if I'm any bigger. Remember trying to get that promotion? To, to make the varsity? To get recognized? To be affirmed? To be included? At the risk of sounding like an underachiever, I want to ask you something. What if what we dreamed of, even when we didn't perhaps know that's what we were doing, what if what we dreamed of being and having and doing and having happened to us, what if that is not what God intended? Whoa, that kind of takes the air out of the room, doesn't it? What if God says, I never meant for you to be on the varsity? What if God says, I never in in intended for you to be at the very top of what you think is the top? What if our role, whoa, get this. What if our role is to get so out of the way that all that people can see is the cross of Jesus Christ? What if our role is such that we so disappear that all people can see is Jesus? Could that be the very central reason that we have breath for the few years that we have it? I want to contend to you that it absolutely is. See, John knew what Jesus had because John knew who Jesus was. And he knew that that was all we would ever need. He knew that the promise beyond all the things of this life was Jesus because he knew this. He knew that Jesus was God fully and completely and that as such, he had everything to give to us that we would ever need. For every circumstance, those days when we're aging, when our bodies are failing us, those days when we're worried and fearful, he knew that Jesus had come to do what no one else could do for us, and John was therefore content to say to his disciples when they said, wait a minute, we're not getting to be the big deal anymore. What did he say? What did he say? 
he said, guys, he must increase, but I must decrease. And he didn't say it in some false, ah, shucks kind of way, form of modesty, but because he knew that for anyone to know greatness in life, they would need to be encountered by the living God who says, I love you, even when you are the incredible shrinking woman or man, especially because you are. I love you. I love you. I've got you. You will never be lost. You will never be so small that you disappear to me. In fact, God said, because you are small, that's when I can love you best. Only then could life have meaning. John knew it. John said what we all need to have, not just on our tombstones, he must increase, but I must decrease, but we also need to have it on our dashboards and our bathroom mirrors and our refrigerators and our school notebooks and our iPads and on our smartphones and our Facebook pages. Put that on, if you're gonna be on Facebook, post that today. When it says, what are you thinking about? Put, he must increase, and I must decrease. And just put that and see what people say. Who? Oh, funny, you should ask. Because this is life. This is the life we have been invited to know and make known. You see, anything less than this is trivia. It won't matter. As Shakespeare's Macbeth said in such a poignant paraphrase of John, all our yesterdays have lighted Fools, the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets this hour upon stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. John knew that. Shakespeare just quoted him. I think John would have liked how Mr. Shakespeare Put it, but the question for us is do we? Do we like growing down? Do we like growing down and getting out of the way so that the real message we have been gifted to announce can be seen and heard? Do we like that idea? Tragically, we live in a world of what about me that does not want the coach to take the ball out of our hands. A world that doesn't even know this is an option, yet alone, let alone the question, what about decreasing so that God may increase? But you know what? That is our world. That's the world God has made for us in Jesus Christ. And as we realize this, we are called to grow up into growing down. To realize the world is the one that has it backward. And that true significance comes from announcing the joy of serving and giving our lives up to God by stepping aside for Jesus to come and be who only he can be in us. So what does it look like? What does this look like to get out of the way? What does it look like to point to Jesus and just slide off to the side, disappear? What does it mean to be the warm-up group? You know how the warm-up act is? What does it mean to be that? In a question and answer period after one of his lectures, the great C.S. Lewis 
was asked, which of the world's religions gives its followers the greatest happiness? Lewis paused and said, while, while it lasts, the religion of worshiping oneself. That's what will give you happiness. But happiness by its very definition is happenstance. It's fleeting. It won't last. To get out of the way is to make room for Jesus to work, to fill us with more than happiness, to give us fulfillment, to work in the lives of those he has called us to serve, for husbands and wives to pray for how best to serve one another, for parents to pray and grandparents how to best serve their children and grandchildren so that they may, those children may see and grandchildren may see the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. It is for churches to act on behalf of those who are in the darkness of oppression that is spiritual and material by being willing to give up pride and simply ask God, how can we help these people? Who do you need us to be in the lives of these people? Growing down means learning to forgive and be forgiven. It means learning to forget about ourselves and any self-conscious sense of entitlement. It means forgetting about being the one who gets it right, who wins the argument, who comes out on top, who maintains comfort and position at the expense of the gospel truly happening in and through us so that people can see it and taste it and feel it and know it as the real thing. It means getting out of the way. Growing down is living the life that needs only to obey the call of Jesus and give up our lives, get this, for the sake of the last people we would consider giving our lives up for. That's what growing down looks like. And not, and, and not like throwing ourselves in front of a bus, as we might imagine it, but rather in a more dangerous way. Humbly acknowledging that we aren't or weren't so smart and powerful as we thought, and that we simply want to serve others in Jesus' name, as Jesus would. You see, this and only here, is where eternal life begins. Because it is as we let go of this life and all we think we need, not so much externally, but internally, that we are truly free to grow up into the people Jesus died to make us and to be who John described when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Our hope and our glory is to get so small and out of the way that by the end of this journey, all anyone can see of us is there was a picture of Jesus. That's how small. Growing down into this eternal life comes out of humility and gratitude. Humility and gratitude. Those are in great abundance in our culture today, wouldn't you say? No. But growing down comes as a result of knowing that eternal life comes from being humble and grateful. It grows out of knowing why we are here and where everything we have comes from. John knew this, and it came from being completely at the disposal of the groom. What do you need me to do? 
How do you need me to arrange for the wedding? What would you like? How should it be? Let's make it great. We don't find this kind of message coming out of Hollywood, do we? We don't see it coming from all the places that we count as powerful today. We don't see it as much from the the halls of Congress and the Senate. But we do when it is like John the Baptist. How about like this? How about growing down looking like this? Someone said, put God first in everything you do. Everything that I have, this person writes, is by the grace of God. Understand that. Everything we have is a gift. I didn't always stick with God, but he stuck with me. Get down on your knees. And while you're on your knees, say thank you. Say thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for parents. Thank you for love. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for humility. Thank you for peace. Thank you for prosperity. Say thank you in advance for what is already yours. Truly desire, true desire in in the heart for anything good is God's proof to you sent beforehand that it's already yours. And when you get it, When you get that goodness, that thing that God had planned before the foundations of time, say thank you and reach back and hand it to someone else and give them a hand and pull them up too. The words of John the Baptist, the words of a pastor, no, the words of a movie star, Denzel Washington. You see, growing down, my friends, isn't rocket science, but it can only happen as we let ourselves be filled with the power of God's Holy Spirit. And Mr. Washington knows that. And we can know it. And you know what? You may not get all the great film roles anymore if you do that. But it'll be more than okay. William Barclay said it so well. We would do well to remember that it is not to ourselves we must try to attach people. It is to Jesus Christ. It is not for ourselves we seek people to like us. It is for people to know what it means to be loved by and to love Jesus. My friends, that's what it's about. It's the greatest gift you could ever have. So on this beautiful fall day, as the seasons turn, may we realize God's love does not let us go. And may we each and all realize today and learn to live this so that someone else sees Jesus in us today. And may someone ask, Are you a little shorter than you used to be? (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this great reminder that what is opposite to our world is exactly what you want for us. May we rejoice in that. May we find great joy and delight of being shed of all the things this world tries to pile on to us. And may we truly come to you and learn in your humble spirit, to wear the yoke you have given us for your glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. My friends, let's remember, as we go from this place, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do. Through us, where we are, May we believe it and go joyfully in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in the love of God the Father, in the communion and fellowship and equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen. For us this morning. Thank you.